This is the show with Cannon Brown. When you start doing this, you get it in your blood and you, you can't get away. And, and you know, I, I believe that too. And now, now that I'm aged out of showing in junior shows, basically every weekend last summer, though, you'd still catch me at a jackpot show somewhere, helping some kid, teaching them how to clip, teaching them how to fit, helping them get things prepared, helping them get things ready. I mean, I just think that's the, the way it goes. It's, you, somebody has to teach you, and, and then probably it's your responsibility to pass that on. That last few minutes might have been a little confusing. You'd like to know who I was talking to, wouldn't you? What is up, my dudes? Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Cannon Brown, and my guest today is Mr. Ty Shockley. If you don't know Ty Shockley, you're about to know him. We're going to talk a bunch in this episode. We have a lot to talk about. We have his past to talk about. We have politics to talk about. We have his internships to talk about. We have his job to talk about with the vice president. That's right. Ty Shockley works for Mike Pence pretty high up. We can't really discuss it. It's classified. Don't worry about it. You're going to love it. Ty Shockley is incredible. And I've known him since Casper College, since we went to junior college together. One of the smartest uh, people that I know. One of the greatest people I know. I hope you guys enjoy this. Follow me on all my social medias. I know I'm being quick, but I want you guys to hear this episode. Follow me on all my social medias at the show pod on Twitter at the show underscore pod. Like, subscribe, share, follow me, whatever. Let's do it. Mr. Ty Shockley. You're safer here than any place else. Now just lock yourself in and keep quiet. Hello. Is that better? Hey, sorry about that, Ty. That first one, uh, it didn't really, it it didn't want to start recording. (laughs) Yeah, I have that effect on things. Oh, really? (laughs) Sometimes technology just doesn't want to work in your presence. Yeah, it's kind of a pain. Um, sometimes... It might just... I might just not be smart enough to know how to run it, but... Oh, sure. Well, maybe I'm not smart enough to run it, says Ty Shockley. The Ty Shockley. Well, Ty... Yeah, I have um, tech troubles all the time. Do you have a lot of tech troubles at, yeah, at your job? Well, as a matter of a fact, I did have a some problems with Excel today, where it was telling me that 10 minus 10 equals 25... Or something ridiculous like that. So I'm telling you, don't feel bad if your tech isn't working because you're talking to me. It's just, I just do that to things. Well, I bet it was part of your inputting process on Excel. Okay, Excel is never wrong. <laughs> well, I should have screenshotted it because it was damn sure wrong today. <laughs> Ty, aren't you like proficient in all of that stuff? Excel, I... QuickBooks, all that stuff? Well, I don't know if you would... If you looked at me compared to, I don't know, like maybe your grandfather, assuming your grandfather hasn't used a computer, <laughs> I'm proficient. Okay. If you look at me compared to, I don't know, some Silicon Valley person, I probably look like an idiot that just digs myself a deeper hole. Well, I mean, anybody can, anybody that has lived a majority in their life in Wyoming compared to a person from Silicon Valley is going to be a little different. <laughs> but you know that Wyoming is the the uh, center for cryptocurrency now is or at it least really? I'm told the the state passed all these laws making it so that cryptocurrency is like very welcomed there so it could be like what delaware is to corporations if you're 
if you know anything about that. I know. I actually, I am, I'm reading a book about John D. Uh, Rockefeller right now. Um, and he didn't really do a lot of business through Delaware, but it was mentioned um, just a little bit that businesses used to and have always kind of done very well in Delaware. Yeah, if you look, most big businesses have some tie to Delaware because their state laws are much better, or at least they, that's what I'm told. I don't know. I'm not not real educated on the topic, but it's what I've heard. Well, I want to find out more about this cryptocurrency in Wyoming because that sounds pretty interesting. Well, I guess the state, last year, they had a big initiative to make it so you could get you could trade cryptocurrency, you could use it for contracts. They put in all sorts of state laws because I guess cryptocurrency is kind of the Wild West as far as regulations go, and they wanted to make it more user-friendly. That's very interesting. So What's you'll it? you'll have to move back, start mining crypto. Oh, get on the interwebs and start mining the cryptocurrency. Right. That's basically what it, I don't even I don't know what that means honestly. <laughs> if I'm being completely honest, I have no idea what I just said. Well, that's I think that's ninety percent of us ninety percent of the time. Well, isn't like um isn't cryptocurrency isn't half the thing that's. Like, or three quarters of the uh, appeal of cryptocurrency is blockchain. Isn't, yeah. Isn't that the majority of, like, the draw is the actual blockchain that's going to help, uh, like, identify people and just have people have their assets in one pile? I guess what it makes it do is there's a complete record. So you can always trace and follow what happens. And I. I guess that's good, but we'll see. I mean, if you're somebody that likes to be really private and private about your business, I'm not sure that that'll be great for you, but there's a lot of potential with it. Now, I we were going to get into this way later, but I feel like this is just a good platform to jump off of. You're, I assume you're pretty familiar with um, like new laws, new regulations, and stuff like that. You work pretty closely with some higher-ups in Washington, D.C. Um, little spoilers. We'll, we'll talk about it later, but I'm sure this kind of... this Just all of this infiltrates your life at all times. Am I correct, or do you kind of just stay out of the loop? I I don't know. I'm just kind of the, the guy, the grunt on the ground. So as far as... What's going on? I don't know. You probably, if you read the New York Times or the the Wall Street Journal or some big paper like that, cover to cover every day, you're gonna know a hundred thousand times more than I do. But you're, I mean, you watch the news, Ty. You're, you're, you keep up to date on certain activities and um, how everything's going worldwide. I'm sure you're very in touch on the trade deals going on. Yeah, I, I, I keep my eye on things. How's the how is the trade deal going? I I have no idea. The trade deals? Well, I guess, you know, I it looked like things were going to start to pan out with uh China. I I do some accounting work actually and I thought it was interesting cuz I've been talking to a lot of businesses and you don't really hear that much about it or think that much about it, but you know, with the tariffs on China, a lot of them were just saying, "Hey, well we actually our supply chains have changed and we don't really go through China." So I think probably it'll 
shake the what's happened probably shake things up more than people may think or realize on the surface but i don't know seems like something sometimes things in the news just blow up but they're really more intricate than the headline that you get yeah i mean today i'm there's nothing about trade but you you look up china today and you'll see i don't know if you're still trading those stocks like we were talking about but my account uh, did not do very good thanks to the Chinese thinking they can eat bats or whatever yeah. it was that caused this coronavirus. Yeah, they're not uh they're not doing too great right now. The stock market's in a a pretty hard plunge, which is not ideal. Yeah, I watched a bunch of my account disappear in the past 2 days. <laughs> but listeners, people listening now, you can get in stocks for low. This is the whole thing. You 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 buy in at a low price, then you sell high. So, if you want to get into yeah, some, if you want to get into the stock market, get in now. Exactly. And I don't know. I don't know, know how long knows. it's gonna last, but <laughs> I I don't know how long it takes before these interviews go up from the time you record them. But who knows? Maybe it'll be they'll be all time highs when you're finally airing this. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I think I, I think I'm actually. Build. I'm putting this up uh, this week, I think. So This week? Wow. So you got fast turnaround time there. Just turn and burn. Yeah, I was like, I need to get Ty Shockley on here. <laughs> well, I've wanted to – honestly, Ty, I've wanted to get you on for a long time um, because you have a very interesting story and you're just a – you're such a smart dude. Like I just – I have the utmost respect for you and, and your thought process on – life and stuff like that so i i mean i want to get you on here well i don't know i've seen some of the people you have on here and i don't know if i'm nearly as smart as them but uh, ty you have a great resume and we're gonna get into it okay <laughs> you can pick my brain a little bit i guess oh we're gonna pick it we're gonna pick at it <laughs> so ty you're from wheatland wyoming and i i'm gonna go ahead and say that 90 percent of the listeners have never heard of a town called Wheatland, Wyoming. So inform us a little bit on, on the town that you grew up in. So Wheatland is in the southeast corner of Wyoming. It's known for wind. If you uh, like... <laughs> That's all of Wyoming. 90 mile an hour winds, you will move to Wheatland. You've, I know you've had uh, Tyler Pickenpaw on in his town of Torrington's just to the east of us. And Wheatland's basically the last of the flat farm ground as you go come from the east and you head towards the mountains. In fact, you can see the first little mountain just right west of Wheatland. It's Laramie Peak. I guess it was like the first mountain the pioneers really saw on their voyage from the east to the west. But I grew up there, and I guess this is kind of an agriculture stock show podcast, so I mentioned that I grew up on a farm and a ranch and a feedlot there um so i had a good had a good time growing up there yeah i i just think um i mean it's a pretty small town right give me like what are the numbers for the town yeah like there's about 3500 people that live there yeah the county has about 10,000 i mean we don't have starbucks we don't have mcdonald's we don't have walmart if you want any of those things it's a 60 70 mile drive yeah, but uh, we do have A and W, and our friends over in Torrington are known to make the voyage to Wheatland just to visit the A and W. For the so A and W, we've got that. Yeah, I mean that good root beer. We got that going for us. They might as well just go to Nebraska. Jeez. Well, Wait, what's that town on the other? Oh, Scotts Bluff. 
Is there an A and W over there? I think there is. I know there's yeah, a KFC. There probably is, but yeah, you know, sometimes you just want to go west. Go west, young man. Yeah, go. I hate. Okay, here's what. Now we're getting into it, Ty. Okay, so Ty is two years older than me, right? How old are you? Am I two years? I'm 25 right now. Yeah, you're 25. So you're two years older than me. Um, and all, but we were in the same grade basically in junior college. By the way, I don't know. I'm probably gonna preface this in the intro, but. Ty and I went to Casper College together. Um, we judged livestock together. And although he was two years older than me, he would still call, like, me. You would you'd call Josh, everybody. A uh, young man. Oh, gosh, it would grind my gears. <laughs> I just went yeah, on a I, long rant, but you can keep calling me young man if you'd like. Well, you know, I, I just wasn't that, that bright, so I had to... Shut up. So I went to college... At a different college for a year before I realized I should be at Casper. So then I was behind, and then for some reason they let you into college at seventeen. So yeah, they sure did. I, I mean, I just really liked how Cannon couldn't participate in anything without sending a waiver home to his parents the first <laughs> semester to sign to allow him. <laughs> Damn, Ty, you're hitting me hard right now. But that is true. I did have to have waivers signed when I first got to college. I think I haven't told this story, but I'd, I actually shouldn't tell this story. Never mind. Um, I was going to tell the story of like the, uh, what's that deal? The smoke out or whatever, or the grill out at Casper. Like the big barbecue thing. Yeah. The, the big barbecue. The yeah. You take cigars and stuff like that. And oh, I was right. told n- not to bring anything because I was under 18 and couldn't purchase tobacco. <laughs> because that really stopped you okay this is <laughs> chill out <laughs> okay so canon was a good kid yeah i'm a good guy okay i follow the rules so being from wheatland wyoming um you're pretty secluded but you grow up on a on a on a farm on a feedlot you're raising cattle um, when do you get, when do you start to get into 4-H? Well, I guess we were pretty secluded. Like my family's house was, I had to leave to get to school at 6:45 in the morning. And so it was a long, an hour and 15 minute bus ride to school and then an hour and 15 minute back every day. So I didn't really get to participate in a lot of activities until finally I got into showing livestock on 4-H because Naturally, that was one thing that a farm ranch kid could really get into. Um, and I could justify it to my parents. I didn't have to stay after school for practice or make extra trips to town because it was such a long ways. So I think I started you know, showing when I was eight was the age when you're eligible for 4-H. And I started my first year. I uh, showed a steer. It was uh, definitely a learning experience that first year. Uh, how so? I mean, I, I know that you had a background in terms of the industry. You just didn't, you guys didn't have the background in the show side or what? So my dad, he didn't, he is just a, a commercial cow calf guy, uh, you know, all about the dollars and cents and having these real economical cows that will produce you a calf every year that you can take and get a check at the sale barn in the fall. 
it and that was great but then when we when i started showing my first year i was kept back one of those steers that we had out at the ranch and took it to the fair and boy it did not stack up well to some of these other steers i mean it was just a commercial angus steer and some of these club calves some my county that I was showing in, the girl that was showing there, she had a Tana Shepherd. She'd actually won Denver about that same year that I started showing. So I was, oh, wow. you know, going against people that were the best of the best, and I got my butt kicked that first year. I uh, my steer got sick when I got him to county fair. He lost a bunch of weight, didn't, and I just barely missed the uh, making the weight to make the sale didn't get to sell my calf. I mean, it was a, it was oh, gosh, a learning experience, but it, it, it wasn't very good. <laughs> I mean, I, I probably write off that first year. I don't really tell many people about it. Well, that's a, I mean, that's a hard year to kick you in the butt. And <laughs> especially, I mean, the first year going into it, that's, that's tough to come back from. Did it, did you feel yourself being discouraged or did it, was it a big motivator? It, it was a big motivator, but I'm also, I'm kind of the kind of person that like, I'm very competitive and I, I want to win. And I know if I have the the skills and the ability to train or practice or compete in something, like I'm going to give it my all and try and make it happen. If it's something that, like I'm a scrawny little guy, so I never competed in football because I knew no matter, it, it just didn't seem like something I could ever really train myself to be that good at I just didn't have the build the physique for it but some other things like this I knew that if I put my mind to it I could I could get better and so you know I uh, was fortunate too after that first year my my parents got they were divorced and my stepdad he actually um, runs a feedlot in Wheatland and he knows uh, quite a bit about show cattle he'd showed scimitals back in the late 80s early 90s had a lot of success um won some major shows with his cattle and as a herdsman for some other places and so he he kind of knew a thing or two and took me under his wing and said hey if you want to show livestock like we can do this if you're going to put in the work we're going to make sure that you have a chance to do well i'll teach you what you need to do and, and we'll make a run at it and so you know the rest of my showing career in wyoming i was pretty fortunate to you know, do a little better each year and really learn from Marty Shepard, who, who was my stepdad, who really showed me kind of what I should be doing and working for and supported me, um, with all of that. So it, it, it was, it was really motivating to get better each year. And I put in a lot of time, like when I was in a kid, everybody else was out, you know, swimming in the irrigation ditches and skipping rocks and I was in the barn washing cattle, washing heifers, putting them in the cooler. And I was in the barn probably 80 to 100 hours a week making sure that those things were ready for the shows that I wanted to take them to. Okay, we're going we're gonna to go back to like you showing. But I just want to say Ty is 25 years old, but he talks like he's a 65-year-old. Did you hear what you just said? You were like, oh, everybody was out swimming in the irrigation ditches and skipping rocks. Ty, no one's done those things in 80 years. Well, you got to remember, we lived in Wheatland, so we didn't have, we couldn't go to Walmart and screw around. You know, why don't you just? We didn't have smartphones back then because this was in, you know, 2008. 
<laughs> okay, we had our, right. our envies right. or what you know those big brick phones that you flipped open and they had the keyboards what about a game boy or something yeah well we didn't get it we didn't waste our time with those <laughs> oh gosh okay <laughs> okay ty you're hilarious i love you so much i missed you okay so ty and i don't talk a bunch um although we went to junior college together we just have we have busy lives i mean you're you're a busy guy i'm a busy guy uh, i mean do you talk to a bunch of people still like a bunch well i may i try and i try to like i'd like to make it a point i, I looked at my contact list and like i only want to put somebody's name in my phone as a contact if i if I like truly bonded with them and think that there's a reason that I need to get a hold of them in the future. And I've got like 800 names in there Yeah. and I look through and I'm like, boy, I haven't talked to him in so long, him in so long, her in so long. And you know, I set new year's resolution that I was going to call and just catch up with somebody every day of the year. And what is today? February 26th. I've done it one time. Oh no. (laughs) So yeah, you know, new year's resolutions. There's always next year. Well, I I would try to keep at it, dude. I still think I mean that's one more than you would have done, right? No, that's true. So that's I say true. you just keep going, keep a positive attitude. Maybe you don't do one every day. Maybe you just maybe you edit your New Year's resolution. Maybe you do one one a month. All you have to do is twelve this year, and then next year maybe you do one a week. You know what I'm saying? No, that's 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 a good mentality. I I really I had a couple of New Year's resolutions and they all kind of I got sick like right at the beginning of January and it just really you know you take your typical motivation for a New Year's resolution and then divide it by half and that's about where I ended up. Maybe worse than that even. Yeah. I had a I've got a New Year's resolution to write down every single one of my um ex- like purchases and expenses like just every single one into a notebook and try to keep all my receipts just to try to like be more organized with my money well, and but if you just get a city double cash card it'd do it for you every time you swipe that thing it writes it down well i mean that's what a bank does it too i just i i like to write things down and i like to just have it right there on paper but even that, I mean, I skip days like out of the week and I'm just like, dang, I really need to write in my notebook. And then I, I mean, I'm, I've done it like half a dozen times. Like it's, you get busy. The, the New Year's what, resolutions don't, don't uh, stay for long. I, I tell you what's, what's a, a chant, a fun challenge. Speaking of, of budgeting and writing down things. What do you got? Do a me? no spin challenge. You ever done that? Oh, yeah, when I'm broke, when I have, like, $5 to my name, I've done that plenty well, of times. <laughs> and when, when you're not broke, do okay. a no-spin challenge. Yeah. And just see how many days. I, I got. I went 33 days without spending a single nickel. And you might think that you're makes me a, sound cheap. What? That makes make me, me sound cheap, but this was back when I was single, and I went to the grocery store before I started the challenge and stocked up on some snacks that I knew I'd like. What about rent? Well... <laughs> I got, I got it. I filled up my tank before it started and, okay. uh, you know, I did not count. I, I don't know what I did with rent cause I have to pay it at the beginning of the month. Yeah, I mean, month, rent, you know? rent and gas are, I mean, those are I think, just necessities. I think that might've been about what broke the no spin challenge is I, is I had to pay rent and I had to go, go fuel up. But you know, it, it's a fun challenge. Like by about week three of it, I was like, 
eating ramen noodles with the Dorothy Lynch because those were the only things I had left in my house, and I didn't want to break the streak. Well, that's – I mean, it's a good challenge. Um, I think you should start it – I don't know. I, I'd be down to challenge you two. I think I could last longer. Well, I, I guarantee you could right now. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> it's just because uh, – well, you're in college, right? Yeah, still. You're in college. See, I've got a girlfriend that I got to take out to dinner. I got a girlfriend I got to take out to dinner. You make her take you out because you're in college. She's in college. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So neither of you can go out to dinner. No, we actually – we just go to Buffalo Wild Wings. We're just on – we're on budgetary uh, As long dinners. as you go there Tuesday or Thursday, right? That's the wing challenge 100%. Days. Yeah, I, I say – you have to do the wing challenge. I, I make her do the wing challenge. I say burn your mouth and then get us free meals. Um, and then she does it. She gets hospitalized and it's good. It's all good. <laughs> Jesus. All free right. Meals. Somebody pick up the ER bill and we're set to go. That's what I'm saying. I mean, there's got to be a good Samaritan out there that will pick it up. Right? Well, you know. Medical bills. Those things have a way of figuring themselves out or Gosh, they don't. Dang. I still have a bill from uh, Columbus, Montana when I uh, got ringworm from Clipping Bulls. You went to the hospital for ringworm? I went, I went to the hospital. Well, it, it was – this is so off track. I don't know if people are going to want to hear this. But, um, yeah, I got bad ringworm when I was Clipping Bulls with Tanner up there. Tanner Jensen, shout out, uh, on the Midland Bull Test. And I let it just go for a long time. I got like anti-fungal cream and it didn't work and we were still clipping every day. So I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't going to stop clipping. And then it just got really bad and it turned into like a staph infection and it was, it was really bad. Yeah, that's, that's a rough deal. Yeah. I made it through a whole bowl, a whole season of bowl clipping with Mr. Jensen. And didn't get ringworm once, knock on wood. That's good. That's very good. Didn't you you went up this year, didn't you? Uh I was helping him last year. Oh, last year. I thought you went yeah. up for a little bit he this keep, year too. He keeps asking he he just said, Hey Ty, you wanna come help me clip bowls just for fun now, since you got other things going on? I'm like, well, Tanner, as much fun as going to clip bowls sounds, I'm probably just gonna relax on the weekends now. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he shot me a text at the beginning of January about me coming up there, and I was like, "Nah, dude, I'm busy." <laughs> you know, maybe I'll go. He finished his Midland Group One, but maybe I'll sneak out there when he's on Midland Group Two and run the old fire down one's belly just for old time's sake. <laughs> oh, it's a good little saying you got there. All right. (laughs) It's the first time I've said it, so maybe it'll catch on. It was off the cuff. I liked it, Ty. Okay. Um, Let's talk about – so you're living in Wheatland. You start 4-H, start showing. You start getting really competitive thanks to your stepdad, Marty. Um, It's kind of a saving grace that he was there for you. It's it's interesting how a lot of these stories connect where you're – you're showing, but not you're not very competitive. And then there's one figure, whether it be a stepdad, a brother, a friend, a cousin, an uncle, 
they come in as a mentor and and really help you out. I mean, I think that's what it takes to be successful is if you have a mentor or mentors that come into your life and kind of teach you the way. No, I I think you're exactly right. And like Marty said, when I started doing it, I said, like, why are you helping me with this? I mean, you're spending a lot of your time. You could be doing better things. You're spending a lot of your money helping me out by, you know, helping me buy equipment and hauling me around to these shows. And, you know, just some guy out there could be spending his time and resources in in a better place than helping that kid's show. But, you know, he says, when you start doing this, you get it in your blood and you, you can't get away. And, and, you know, I, I believe that too. And now, now that I'm aged out of showing in junior shows, basically every weekend last summer, though, you'd still catch me at a jackpot show somewhere, helping some kid, teaching them how to clip, teaching them how to fit, helping them get things prepared, helping them get things ready. I mean, I just think that's the, the way it goes. It's you, Somebody has to teach you and, and then probably it's your responsibility to pass that on. I agree wholeheartedly. That's, I mean, that's just, um, it's kind of the, the golden ticket, if, if you will, if you, if you find that person and, and, and they help you out and then it's, and then it, like you said, it's your job to pass it on to other people. Just keep passing yeah. it down and keep getting it in, in people's blood. Cause like, like Marty said, I mean, it, once it's in your blood, it's in your blood. You're not getting it out. And it's exciting when you find a, a kid that has a, has a lot of work ethic and a lot of drive and they're really, they want to be involved in the industry and they want to, they want to learn and do better when you can take somebody like that and teach them a couple of things, just the amount of progress you see in them. It's exciting for you to do that as well. So I, I mean, I've had a lot of great people teach me a lot of things over the years and I can't be more thankful for the way things have worked out. Yeah. Now, in high school, you were, is that when you were president of the um, Junior Angus Association, or what was it? The Wyoming Junior Angus Association, you were president in high school? Yeah, I guess I was president of the Wyoming Junior Angus Association, I don't, for like five or six years. I don't exactly remember in Wyoming, there's like not a huge amount of kids that show registered Angus, and I showed registered Angus for several years and they said hey ty like you've been showing every year you come to all of our all the shows in wyoming you know why don't you be the state association president i think i probably became the i don't know it was probably late middle school early high school and i did that until i went to college and then when i got in college they the advisor they uh were retiring or leaving and they said, why don't you become the advisor now? So I took over and now I've been the advisor for four or five years. Oh, really? I didn't actually know that. Yeah. So if you, if you're listening, you're in Wyoming, you're interested in showing Angus cattle, you know, get a hold of me because I'm the junior Angus advisor and oh my I can point you in the right direction, I guess, for maybe some things you might want to think about. What a great plug, Ty. What a fantastic plug that I didn't think was going to happen. Listen well, to my girlfriend, she's the advisor for Montana. So oh. for the Montana Junior Angus. So 
We can set you up. Montana, Wyoming. If you live in Nebraska, I don't know. Don't call. Actually, we take Nebraska. We'll let you show in Wyoming <laughs> if you want to come across the state line. Actually, we'll take you. You like regretted it so fast. Actually, just kidding. Let, let me but retract I, that. I remember like a good number of kids we have at Western <laughs> Nebraska come show in Wyoming because it's, you know, Douglas, Wyoming is closer yeah. than going to going clear out to um, Nebraska to the east side of the state for yeah. those shows they have out there. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, the Nebraska is just so long. Gosh dang, it's it's a it's a long place. It's a drive that we've uh, taken many many times across that state. You're right. Okay, so out out of high school, where did you go? You didn't go to Casper first. Where did you spend oh, your so first year? When I got when I finished high school, I had a full ride scholarship to yeah, Vanderbilt. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about how smart you were really quick. Can we well, talk about it? Actually, this I is mean, the question that I didn't want to put in the outline. I'm sorry, everybody that's listening. I'm all over the board. I didn't want to put in the put this in the outline because I didn't want you to freak out about this question. But I want to know honestly, when did you know that you were like smart? I'm asking this honestly. Well, I, I don't know. I can remember. I, I, I still don't even know if I'm smart, I guess. Be quiet. But I'll tell you this. When I was a little kid, I, I was like in first grade, you know, you learn to read. And they gave, they gave me a book that had five words in it and 25 pictures. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm reading a book, whatever. And then I saw my friend. He got a book. And it had 25 pages and no pictures. And each page was like, it was a novel, you know. There was paragraphs in that book, sentences. It was a full-fledged actual book. And I, I looked at what I was reading, and I was like, this is BS. Like, they think I'm stupid or something. Giving me this picture book, and the kid next to me has got this, you know, full-fledged mystery novel for first graders. And uh, I was pretty upset about it. I don't really distinctly remember like getting better, but I would just get so irritated when I would do poorly in school. So I'd just study, 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 read, do whatever. Cause I, I was just, like, I just felt kind of humiliated if I didn't know. So I just put a lot of time into studying and reading and it kind of, it worked out for me, I guess. Damn. We just, I think we just uncovered something there, Ty. I mean that's a that's a distinct memory from your childhood that probably like that set the stage for like how you thought about school. You didn't like you were handed a book that was inferior to the one that was handed to your peer and you you felt humiliated so you're like can't let that happen again. Got to be better. Yeah, pretty much from there. And then th that was that and then I guess when I was in middle school I got I had to take a cal calligraphy class. And I got a B in that class. I got an 89.9. Oh. And it ruined my only B I've ever gotten. And just uh, ruined my whole GPA for all of middle school. And <laughs> All of middle after, school. <laughs> after that, I was so, I was, oh you know, my I was distraught. So, like, if I, so uh, when it comes to, like, school, I guess grades aren't really everything, but. Like I wanted to learn everything I could in every class. And if I had like less than a 
7%, I was stressing that I was not learning everything that I needed to know. Wow. So that, I mean, you probably remember in college, like we would be hanging out doing stupid stuff and I'd be like hanging out with you guys, but also reading the textbook at the same time. Oh yeah. I mean, Ty, that was, that was one thing that was very apparent to me from the onset. We did not have the same mindset when it came to education because I don't <laughs> think that way. I think that but way in I, every other aspect of my life. Like I would hate to like, like all the things that I like to do, I would hate to be uh, inferior at. But school has just, I mean, I'm still in it. Like I obviously I'm, I want to get it done, but it's just never been the number one thing on my to-do list. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, you've got a, a good mentality because you enjoy yourself and that's important. And I'll tell you this, you enjoy your time at school because there's a lot of good to it that you probably don't realize until yeah, that's what I, all the old timers say. Yeah. There's a lot of good in something until you can't, until you're gone past that stage and then, you know, that stage is over. So you, you got to enjoy it while you can. But it's really true when people tell you that. Yeah, I agree. I'm not ready to, I mean, I, I'm ready to be done. Yeah, I'm ready. To, <laughs> I'm ready to be done. Just kidding. I was, was going to say I wasn't ready just because, like, I don't want the responsibility. But, I mean, I work a bunch now, so it shouldn't be that different. <laughs> no, probably not. Okay, so... You're, you were incredibly smart in high school. You say you're not smart. You're very smart. And you, you have incredible work ethic when it comes to education, when it comes to anything. And you get a full ride scholarship to Vanderbilt. That's a pretty outstanding offer. Yeah. Uh, well, I, it was pretty good. I think, actually, I, I take that back. It was not a full ride, but I think I was going to have to buy, like, a laptop or something. Oh, and, no. and my plane tickets there. So... So that that was kind of stressful, and my parents hated the idea of me going to school in Tennessee, so far away. And then probably the kicker of the thing was I had a, bu- a couple of steers in the barn for state fair, a couple of heifers in the barn for state fair that I'd been getting ready, you know, hoping to like kick go out with a bang on my senior year. And uh, I was supposed to report to class on August seventeenth. And that was the day uh, that was in the middle of the Wyoming State Fair. And so, oh, gosh. So I, you know, I accepted my this is pretty, pretty uh, bad, but I accepted my admissions there at Vanderbilt, expecting to go, thinking I was going to go. Drove my parents crazy all summer. Kept working with the cattle like I was going to State Fair. They didn't really. Everybody's like, how are you? You think you're going to school? You think you're going to state fair? Like, what are you going to do? And like, it was August 1st. I called the school up and I was like, hey, I, uh, I'm i not coming anymore. And uh, so at that point, then I kind of fell on my backup plan because like school is supposed to start in two to three weeks, pretty much at all the colleges. And I didn't really know what to do at that point. So I went to University of Wyoming there right after high school. Oh gosh. Okay. So that's, um, I mean, you were like right at, right at the precipice of going to school and, uh, committing to showing these, these cat, this cattle. I mean, you had to make a decision pretty quick. You, you let it right up to the line. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, probably my weakness is like, I think way too much about 
stuff instead of just deciding. Like I, I just write down the pros and cons and weigh them back and forth in my head until like I'm up against a deadline and I have to decide. Honestly, that's how I make decisions too. That's how I have to do it. <laughs> it just works better. But that, so that was the case and it was great. I mean, I went to Wyoming state fair, uh, had a lot of fun. I don't even rem- I don't even remember like how I did at the shows. Like I put all that work in, and, but yeah. like that's some something that maybe was important to me at the time. But I don't really remember if I won that class or that heifer did good in her breed or whatever afterwards. But I just remember I had a lot of fun there. And then you know I went to college, and that's where some of the fun stopped because when I started college, I guess I was a, an engineering major and was pretty far removed from, even though I was at the University of Wyoming, like agriculture and livestock and the people that are in that kind of industry, I was, you know, kind of far removed from being around those people again. And uh, so that first year of college was pretty tough. Is that what you were going to major in at Vanderbilt too, was engineering? Yeah, I, I was going to major in engineering. Which, thank goodness I didn't go there because it would be way harder to switch majors and they don't even have ag in Vanderbilt at all. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I started at, at Laramie at the University of Wyoming and um, then... Spent a uh, year. Yeah, and I, I was just kind of bored there. But then my friend, I had some friends that went to Casper College and they were on the judging team there. And they said, Ty, I think you'd really like this. You should come judge. So I went up and visited and talked to Jeremy Burkett, who was the coach. And it uh, kind of appealed to me. And so there I went from, you know, one of the top 20 schools academic-wise the year before potentially going to Vanderbilt to going to community college. And absolutely that was the best choice that I could have made. (laughs) uh same um what what drew you to to go to casper well i i think so i was friends with kids on the judging team and they said this is something that you would probably like and i said okay well i didn't judge in high school really i didn't really know much about it but i saw that you got to travel around and look at farms and stuff and i thought well that sounds like fun so I said, what the heck, I'll do it. But here's a, I, I had a good scholarship at the University of Wyoming and they couldn't really match it just the way things were at Casper when I first transferred. And so, but the University of Wyoming, like Casper is affiliated somehow because they're Wyoming colleges or whatever. So I was able to keep my scholarship from the University of Wyoming, but I had to um, be enrolled full-time at the University of Wyoming to be on the judging team at Casper, I had to be enrolled full-time at Casper. So I, I don't know if you remember this, but I was enrolled full-time at both schools that first year. So I was taking like 28 credits. Oh my gosh, dude. Oh my, but that's so many. That's so many credits. You were taking like yeah, 24 was, to 28 credits a semester. Yeah, yeah. And, and I went to the re-enroll. Like I, I went to... I did the, the the semester the semester you know in the fall and I went back to re-enroll and um, they didn't catch it that fall they just like they were like yeah it's fine I went to re-enroll in 
for the January, you know, semester, the spring semester in the admissions office or the registrar's office was like, what? You can't sign up for this many classes. And I was like, well, why not? And they're like, well, you know, we have to do waivers. We have to put you in counseling so that we know there's nothing wrong with you. Like we have this counseling service that you have to be a part of. You have to meet with weekly. I was like, what? This is some, I, I didn't do this last semester. And I got along just fine. I'm, like, I'm trying to sign up for less classes this semester, actually, because I think I went from 28 to 24 or something. And the lady's like, no, that's not possible. She pulled up my records from like the prior semester. And she's like, OK, well, let me go talk to my manager. And like 30 seconds later, she was back. She's like, I'm so sorry. I guess uh, you can go ahead and enroll in those many that many classes. <laughs> They're like, yeah, she went back to her manager. And the manager was like, yeah, it's Ty Shockley. All right. Give him the classes. <laughs> Give them the books for free. So oh, I, I mean, I doubt they were like that. That guy's a troublemaker. Cause oh sure. Me and Josh were always in that, doing something stupid. It felt like that was raising the suspicions of the <laughs> Casper administrators. Well, you're right. I mean, once we got comfortable at Casper, I mean, we were hellraisers. That's for sure. Yeah. Um. No, I'm. I'm just so happy, and I wanted to mention this on here, but I'm so happy that. Uh, Casper offered me so many people in my life that just taught me so much and introduced me to so many people. I mean, I've had, I'm going to have you, I've had Josh, I've had Tyler on. I mean, just incredible people. And I'm happy that you were one of those people. I'm happy that Casper brought us together. Ty, I mean, you're a great guy and you've got an incredible story. We're not ending this. I'm just saying, I thought this would be a good time to say, I'm just I'm stoked that Casper brought me incredible people, including you, Ty. Well, I I couldn't agree more. It's it was those were some of the best years of my life. Just you know, it's you can read about this place being the best for X, Y, and Z, or them having the best you know program or profession or whatever for anything that you want to do. But really, what things what you make of things are the people and the people that. We were there at Casper when we were there. We're a good set of people that are really going to value for the rest of our lives, I think. Yeah. Now, you didn't have a lot of experience livestock judging until uh, junior college, right? Yeah. I I was a like an – I didn't – we didn't really – we had FFA at my high school, but we didn't really practice or anything for the contests. And uh, there was a livestock judging team, and I wasn't even – on it but one of the kids got sick or whatever and i was the alternate and uh so like i was supposed to go livestock judge in high school and i got up the day of the contest and i was taking a shower to before the contest started whatever and i didn't feel very good so i actually i turned my like shower you might know me and josh always kept our like shower on hot hot all the time and just let it run yeah get like humidity I had done that in our hotel room, just to, like kind of clear my sinuses while I was waiting for my advisor to come get me to tell me it was time to go. And I was sitting there waiting for him. And he came down the hallway, apparently heard that the shower was on, was super mad that I wasn't ready and did just left me. Oh, no. So I didn't. So I didn't even get a compete, in, I mean, which I wasn't really trained at the time to compete in that contest anyways. But but uh, yeah. And I, I wasn't even in the shower. I just had the shower running for the humidity. But, you know, that was uh, – he was pretty mad at me. And then I was like <laughs> – I, I ran downstairs and I was 
like, Hey, I'm fully dressed. I'm ready to go. He's like, well, we're, you know, half a block out of the, the parking lot. I don't care. I'm leaving. you." I was like, well, I was ready. <laughs> Damn. That sucks. And but he, like, he was I mean, mad at me for about half a second. And then he, then he realized that I was just the alternate anyways. Well, yeah. So. I mean, they didn't need you. No. We but didn't win anyways. They would have won if you were on the team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cheering them on from the sidelines. Now, how was it to learn uh, from a junior college perspective? I mean, were you intimidated coming into it, be, being as you didn't have a lot of experience? Yeah, I mean, I was at first. I, I mean, I was pretty cocky about my my like knowledge of what I thought was good stock. Oh, you have to be and like growing up on a feedlot, being around cattle all the time. I was around fat cattle. I was around cattle that we develop heifers in our feedlots i was around a lot of females i was very opinionated on what i want in a heifer so like when it came time for heifer classes like i was set in my ways and i did pretty good on those classes in practice and even you know at most of the shows a couple of times at the start i got you know things backwards where you judge them left to right or right to left that'll mess up your card <laughs> but yeah uh, usually I, I i was pretty intimidated though like there was a short kind of cocky red-haired kid there that was from arizona he uh, definitely was a lot smoother than me when we had to line up for reasons and uh, to be honest i didn't even know what i was doing the very first time in practice we lined up for reasons and i went in there and talked like i'd heard people on the mic talk at all the shows that i've been to i'd never even heard a set of reasons before but you know what that that actually helped you out later once you once you actually knew the format, that helped you out a bunch. Just kind of bringing that ring talk into the room. No, I think it did, and you know, a couple of times I got lucky and got some decent scores. But I mean, I never probably really smoothed up my reasons enough, or like you need to if you really want to do well in collegiate livestock judging. But yeah. you know, I think. It, Overall, not knowing anything, it was a lot of fun. I was intimidated at first, but I definitely learned a lot. I mean, I learned a lot about all the other species that I had no, I mean, I had no idea about sheep or goats. I still don't know much about goats. I mean, I practiced them, but I still place them backwards all the time. So <laughs> Are you, don't, don't call me if you want an opinion on goats. Cause on, on does or, or, or weathers? On weathers, does are a little bit easier for me, anyways. Well, those—the only you should be good with those. Those are like mini heifers. Yeah, that's, that's I, how you they, they make they make more sense to me. But you get a set of of market goats and you put them in racks, and I'm just like, they all look the same to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll happen sometimes. Yeah, my my judging team and. In senior college, they were like, wow, Ty, if you judge goat show, I, I'd always turn in my card right away, like pretty, like, I just really was, I just struggled with it. I just, it was like market goats were something I was either going to get right or wrong. Like I couldn't sit there and debate them. And I'd turn in my card and my coach would be like, ah, oh, good job. Or he'd be like, wow, that's terrible. And, and I'd be like, well, you know what? I'm setting new trends. If you get me to judge a big goat show someday, people are going to be like, wow, we're going to have to start breeding these things a little different. <laughs> Maybe we'll ha they'll have to breed them for you. I mean, that's that's the kind of attitude you got to have sometimes. You just got to <laughs> be confident, even if you're wrong. I love that, Ty. You're saying you're saying the show, the people in the county should breed for you. For for absolutely, your, uh, absolutely. That's how it should you, go, right? You're gonna come up to the uh, 
you know, the county XYZ jackpot show where we've got 24 head and one girl has 14 of them. That's when you're going to want to be breeding for me, honey. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, That's fair, Ty. That's very fair. Okay. (laughs) Jesus. So didn't you double majored uh, at Casper, didn't you? Well, I saw Casper got an animal science associates and an ag business associates. Okay. Yeah. So you, uh, yeah. So you double majored. And then, you know, just to get my scholarship at University of Wyoming, I took classes like health and nutrition and online chemistry and physics and writing and basically a whole plethora of whatever was online or offered at the Casper center. I took it so that I could get the UW credits. So I have a random bunch of electives that, don't help towards anything well that i mean that happens you should have took the uh, self-defense class that me and clementson took yeah i really missed out there it was actually really fun do you know what the final was for that class i don't know so probably something i would have failed the, no the well i don't know you would have done the final was um this guy you got padded up and another guy got padded up and you just got to like he, he just attacked you, and you had to get out of the attack and then just beat the hell out of him. That was the so final. Like you give him a black eye, you get a good grade in that class. Well, he had like a helmet on, so and with a face So mask. that's even more impressive when you give him a black eye. Ex- well, if you give him a black eye, you don't... Uh, yeah, you get an A+, plus for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you get two associate's degrees at Casper College, then you... Um, you decided to go to the University of Wyoming. Now, some people would have thought, like, hey, Ty Shockley, he's a pretty intelligent dude. He's got two associate's degrees. Let's try to get him into a prestigious college. But no. Well, I, I mean, I, when I I'm got kidding, done at UW Casper, is great. I was like, yeah, UW is – I mean, that's the Harvard of Wyoming, young man. <laughs> the Harvard of Wyoming. You're – Okay, I'll give you that because there's no other university. So, I, I guess I finished at Casper and I was like, where where could I go? And, you know, Pig and Paw, our buddy Pig and Paw was like, yeah, you should come to UNL with me. And I applied and I thought, oh, UNL would be fun and hanging out with Pick would be fun. But uh, then they sent me the like tuition bill and I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know I want to pay that. And then the University of Wyoming. I was like, well, I already was at Wyoming, didn't really like it, but we'll at least give it a go. And they had just brought in Caleb Boardman in to be the coach of the judging team. And I don't know, he must have been kind of desperate for kids because he called and said, hey, Ty, like, do you want to come judge? Uh, you could come be on my judging team next year if you come to the University of Wyoming. And I was like, well, I don't know. I might be kind of over this judging thing. Like, The spring of our sophomore year, it was kind of, rocky just like we weren't doing well a lot of conflict there's a lot of other stuff going on at casper that i was just like kind of lost my interest in it but i was like well i'll go talk to this caleb boardman see what he knows anyways and caleb is a a great guy if any of you guys listening i know you've had him on the show like if you get a chance to you know go be on a team that that guy's coaching i know he just left wyoming for texas a&m so i'm pretty bummed about that but he is a top quality guy as just like a mentor in life, not just livestock, but life. 
And uh, yeah, so I, I went to the University of Wyoming and spent two years there, and it, it was an absolute blast. Yeah, um, yeah, Caleb's great. Shout out Caleb Boardman. Uh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna try to get him on again uh, to talk about his transfer to back to uh, Texas A&M. I'm sure he's stoked, uh, and I'm sure he's gonna be thoroughly, thoroughly missed in the state of Wyoming. Yeah, he's gonna be hard to replace. Yeah. Now I want to talk about uh, your endeavors while you were in college at the University of Wyoming. The fir- the first one that I want to talk about is you running for public office. Oh yeah, so that that all happened too in between. So when I decided I was going to go to University of Wyoming, I was like, I knew I was going to be in Wyoming, going to be oh, Laramie's like the cl- one of the neighboring towns to Wheatland, so it's only an hour away. And I just kind of traveled back and forth to help the parents and stuff at the farm and feedlot, and then I'd go to school. They'd probably say, "Help! You just came home to get." you know, good food and sleep in a warm house that you didn't yeah. have to pay the heat and electricity for. But, you know, I like to say I was helpful, but I, uh, I decided that summer before I started school at the university of Wyoming, and this is too, I told Caleb, I said, you know, I'll come judge for you, but I'm going to run for public office. And so I don't know how much time I'll have if I win. And, uh, so I ran for state legislator in the house district four. Um, that was, a uh, really a fun experience over that summer campaigning all over the district you know shaking hands meeting people being a politician kissing babies yeah yeah people say they hate politicians but people also love to suck up to politicians so it's a fun it was a fun time how long did you campaign so i so i campaigned from may till august like i was going i was signing up for parades I was walking, you know, through neighborhoods, going to meetings. Had, like, I, I ran against and stuff. Yeah, I ran against an incumbent, so I actually had to go to a couple of forum, town hall, debate type things. I went to three or four of those and just talked about the issues and debated him, sort of, I guess. Well, he had been an incumbent for a while. Like, I mean, he had been a representative he'd been there. for how yeah, many years? Yeah, he'd been years? there for a couple of terms. He'd been. Yeah. He'd been a commissioner, and then he was a legislator for a couple of terms, and there was just some things that I disagreed with. And then just as in the state in general, I thought, you know, a young person could do a lot of good or provide a lot different opinions than what the legislators made of. You know, in Wyoming, it's getting a little better. I know there are some younger guys that have won some seats, but there's a lot of older folks on in the legislature, 60-plus, even though you accuse me of being 60-plus, but <laughs> really there's – not that many young folks, and so you know, at the time I was 21, I thought, heck, I might, I'm going to give this a go and and try and make a run at it, and and so it, it was fun. I mean, I I ultimately I lost, but I still got about 40 some odd percent of the the vote, and, and it was a Republican district. I ran a, as a Republican, and uh, you know, it's kind of a Wyoming's kind of a single party state, um, so I ran in the primary against uh, incumbent Republican as a Republican. So, you know, that sometimes causes people yeah. to be irritated. You know, we've got a Republican in there, let him be. But, you know, I just thought a young guy's got some different perspectives and I wanted to, to give it a go. And, you know, ultimately I think uh, my ideas resonated with a lot of people. Uh, 40 some odd percent of the people uh, needed to be 50%, but uh, that's all right. 
Now, what were some of your ideas to to help the your district? Well, I, I just thought, you know, some of the capital expenditures the state was making were maybe not the best ways to be spending money. Wyoming's still stuck in this cycle of boom and bust and times are really good and we build and go like crazy and we get all sorts of revenues from uh, mineral taxes and whatnot. And then what happens? Oil crashes, coal crashes, natural gas prices go down. We lose all sorts of revenues and now we're just going on a bare bones budget because that's really like one of the major, major sources of so state funding in Wyoming. You know, we don't have state income tax or anything like that, which is nice. We really got to appreciate that about living in Wyoming is your tax burden as a citizen is pretty low. But at on the flip side of that, the state just needs to be careful about how they spend their dollars. And I thought, you know, I'm a young person. The way that this state is spending its dollars, it's not the kind of way that makes me think that we're going to be successful at keeping people like from my age group from finishing college and then graduating and going and living in Colorado or Montana or Nebraska or some neighboring area, you know, where there's maybe different opportunities going on. So I just thought, you know, I would bring some perspective, but uh, those were kind of the broader themes, I guess, of the campaign. Yeah. You just, I mean, you wanted to change kind of where the funding was going. Yeah, just take a closer look at it and just, I think every general, every issue in general, like there's a, there's value to getting different perspectives, even though everybody, a a large amount of people in Wyoming might be conservative or the state legislature might be conservative. A 65 year old conservative might have slightly different views on things than a 45 year old versus a 21 year old. I mean, there's different experiences and places in life that kind of set you up with different expectations and views and, and ideas. And, you know, I'll give them older guys credit. They've got a lot of life experience that this taught them a lot of things that I might be naive about, but at the same time, being naive about some things might actually help me, you know, thinking that I can do something that yeah, they exactly. think is impossible. Well, do you think that uh, the incumbent that you're running against, do you think like, how did you guys get along? Do you think that he just thought of you as like a uh, just a kid coming in trying to like ruin up his his deal? I mean, he probably thought I, like, "Hey, what is this guy doing? Like, he hasn't he hasn't earned his dues." Or I think at the start he was like, "What is go-? like?" He, he didn't take it seriously at the beginning because I was just a kid. Like for the first month or two, like I was out meeting with people, walking around, shaking hands, going to events, and like he was just kind of not really making an effort to campaign or do anything extra and it was because like he didn't really feel like he was challenged or whatever but then i think as like we got into some of those debates and forums like i I remember we were talking about policy on some specific thing that was happening with wind farms at the time and i had you know done an extensive amount of research and talked about the short haul the, the shortfalls in our policy and things that we could do that would be beneficial to the state and the people living in the state and he just gets he get up he got up there and he said you know actually I just sat here and listened to Ty and I think what he's has to say about this topic is really spot on he's put in a lot of like he started to respect that that I wasn't just some kid like I had some valid points and you know 
with that was a double-edged sword once he started to respect that and respect me he started campaigning a heck of a lot oh, yeah. harder and uh then the race you mess was with on. the bull you get the horns buddy <laughs> but that's no, it, no that's it's, awesome. I, I mean i don't really know what he thinks of me or how he thinks of me even even to this day i mean i don't communicate with him regularly i, I mean i called him after the race and conceded obviously and you know he said you know good job you know it was a good race well fought and good luck in the future and you know i wish him luck too because he's representing our district and in the end we want the best for our district no matter who's who's the guy that sent to the state legislature to represent it you know everybody just we want good things for people if you don't want good things then you know you need to get out of this game because it's not for you do you ever plan on running for that district again uh i don't know i think a lot of people ask me especially like the next time time election that came up right after that like ty why why aren't you running like you should run you should run and you know like i don't want to run just to run like i want to run because the time there was some big issues that i thought i could make an impact on and i don't want to run just to run and and be involved in politics like i want to run if there's something that i'm passionate about that i want to attack and change you know being the person that i am i think probably there'll be issues like that in the future so you never know but I, I, there's got to be a good reason for it. Yeah, I, I mean, Ty, I think you would be a great, uh, a great public figure, a great person in uh, in a political office. I think you'd give some integrity, uh, integrity to the office for sure. Well, I hope, but you never know what what kind of story you'll see in the news that well, tries to chip away at that. Let's try to see a scandal for Ty Shockley. I'd love to see one. Um, along with what, what, well, I'm just, I'll just let you in half the scandals you see in the news. If you really dig down to them, there's not much, there's not much more than the gossip that goes on at everybody's workplace or school place. They just blow it up out of proportion. Oh yeah. I mean, it's all to just, to kind of mask other things, but I mean, that's just media. No, absolutely. But they got to make money somehow. Yeah, they got to get the clicks. Absolutely. Now, so you ran for a public office. You ran for, um, you ran in your district, and then you also uh, decided to run uh, to be the president of the university, the University of Wyoming. Yes, I did do that. And, and... what compelled you to try to to try to be the president of a university or the well, student similar... body president? So this was 18 months after this was basically yeah 18 months after that uh, the legislative election I had I had lost and you know we're getting ready I'm getting ready to go into my last year at the university and I'm thinking well you know there's some things with the student government I don't really agree with I might as well throw my I actually had not intended to run for that office but I was approached by some people who said Ty, I think that you're a good kid. You've got good ideas and you could be the guy to do this. So we want you to run. And I thought about it and I thought, you know what? Heck, I agree. There's some things that I don't, that I think, I mean, in the student government, could be done differently, could be done better, you know, could be done with less drama or foo-for-all. And, and at the end of the day, the student government's spending a bunch of student fees. So, you know, they need to be responsible and accountable to those fees. So I thought, you know, I'll be responsible and accountable. So I decided to run. Um, again, that election, I did not lose. I did not win. I 
there was three candidates running. I ended up placing second, which was fine with me because truth be told, I filed to run and in Wyoming at the university, you have like three or four weeks to run for student body president. Like that's the election period. Well, right after I followed around like that next week, I get this call. I'm sitting in the library of the University of Wyoming and this lady calls me and she says, this is such and such from the office of the vice president. And I was like, oh crap. Like what did I do to stir somebody's pot here at the University of Wyoming? I was thinking I had like the VP of academic affairs or student life or somebody calling me to ask me about something I had said or done or ruffled some feathers somewhere. So I was like, oh boy, what am I getting myself into? And I, you know, probably didn't sound that enthused on the phone. And the lady goes, no, Ty, we mean, this is the office of the vice president. And I go, okay. She goes, no, from the White House in Washington, D.C. And immediately I was like, oh my gosh, what did I just, like, my mind just went numb. I don't know what I said to this lady, but she said, hey, we had seen your resume looking at internships and, and, uh, you know, we were kind of interested in interviewing you. And at that point I was like, holy cow, like, as I had kind of submitted my resume just on a whim, like, you know, honestly, I didn't think I had that good of a chance at it. I've never heard of anybody becoming a white house intern, didn't know anybody. I thought, heck I would do it, but that's kind of another story how that whole process went down. But they called me in the midst of my campaign and the catch was I had to be there, you know, like May 28th to August 15th or whatever for the internship. And I was like, wow, being a White House intern sounds like a pretty, pretty cool deal. So uh, the, the student body thing, if I would have won that, I would have had to have been at the University of Wyoming for that role from like June 1st to August 31st or something. So I didn't really want to win at that point. So I kind of just stopped campaigning because, you know, I kind of was interested in trying to make changes to student government or bring my ideas to the student government. But I was, it kind of paled in comparison to the chance to go be an intern at the white house. Well, I mean, it's a one, it's a one in a lifetime chance right there. I mean, you get a call from the office of the vice president of the United States saying that they want to interview you for an internship that pales in comparison and then trying to change student government at a hundred year old university. (laughs) No, I was, I was, I was very fortunate and, you know, I had submitted my application kind of on a whim because it was right after uh, president Trump was elected. They kind of, you know, were rebuilding the white house website. Like everything was kind of just fast and furiously changing and, like I saw this link that said White House internship, submit resume here, submit letter of rec. So I did that and I was like, well, I guess I'll hear back someday. Like I'll hear if I hear, you know, just kind of wanting to see what would happen. And um, then later on down the road, sure enough, they called me and said, hey, we want you to be uh, an intern. You know, and actually my one of my professors that I asked to write my one of the letters of rec was like, why, why would you want to? put your time into doing this application like nobody from the university of wyoming is going to get this i mean you know some academia probably not that friendly to the administration um and i was in the econ- ag economics department at wyoming and 
you know, like economics, free trade, all that kind of not as receptive to the ideas that Trump campaigned on. And they, one of our professors looked at me pretty skeptically and said, you know, I don't know really why you want to do this, why you're going to put your time into this application, but I guess I'll write you a, a letter of rec. And uh, so, you know, kind of got my letter of rec half-heartedly, but nonetheless, I was grateful to get my letters of recommendation. I had a couple of those that I got and sent them in, and there I was. Well, what a great uh, facilitator of education that, like, <laughs> uh, inspired you so well. I really wish it that. <laughs> well, I'll t- okay. Truth be told, the University of Wyoming has great professors. Don't be scared of that. Go to the University of Wyoming. It's a great school. Even if they don't agree with your choices, they'll still write you a letter of rec yes, and support exactly. you in the long run. Exactly. I sh- yeah, I shouldn't be so harsh. I was actually going to ask you that. That was going to be one of my questions is, who do you ask to give you a letter of rec when you're sitting in an application into the White House? I mean, that's, got, well, that's a well, pretty big ask. I- I got a couple of my economics professors because I, I kind of did well in economics class. Like there was a couple of classes where I'd like take the final before everybody else just so I could proof it and make sure there was no errors or, you know, like the professor was going to be not feeling well. They might be like, Hey, who wants to explain this and point at me? And I go up and work out a concept on the board or whatever. So like I had a really good relationship with my professors and did pretty well there. So I asked them and then of course I asked a couple of them and a couple of economics professors and I had to get a bunch of recommendations while I was in college. So that's important. Build good relationships with your professors. And then like one of my go-tos is Caleb Boardman. He's, he's been like not only as a coach, but he's like supporting anything that you want to do. Like when I told him, Hey, I'm going to apply for this White House internship. I was on the judging team where we had just finished our spring deal we're supposed to practice go you know go to jackpot shows all summer you know try and practice as much as we can in the summer and then meet back before school starts to start practicing and go into the little contests and whatever and like you know if i get a white house internship which at the time i was applying kind of didn't really seem like that big of a deal you know, didn't really think about how that would affect livestock judging but caleb was super supportive of it like i missed several practices at the beginning of the summer because i wasn't back from being a White House intern, and he's like, well, I guess, you know, it's, I'll live with it. Like, I don't like it when kids miss, miss uh, judging practice, but it makes a pretty good precedent. Like, I, I can say, well, if you can miss, if you have to be at the White House, maybe. Like, that's one excuse that I can tell kids. Yeah. You know, like, my, the last time I let somebody miss practice, they were at the White House, so. <laughs> so, tell me about it. Tell me about the experience. You end up getting the internship to go there yeah, for the so, summer so like, tell me about i your find experience. out in like april that i get to go that i get this internship like mid-april and then i have to be there at the end of may so like i'm just like some wyoming kid who's never really lived outside of wyoming for much time like i, I went to college in wyoming you know i i traveled around before for livestock judging and different things but never really like actually lived outside of wyoming and i'm like what am i gonna do so I, you know, I just get on Craigslist, click on a couple of housing ads, find one in the Washington D.C. area that looks not like a scam. Call the guy. He sounds friendly and receptive, so I just send him a check in the mail for the. I sent him actually a check for like the entire like all three months that I was going to be living there because I didn't want to pay. He, I made this deal with him where like I could pay for the exact number of days. So I like when I left August. 
17th or 20th or whatever it was. I didn't have to pay for those 10 days in August, which oh, in yeah, Washington, yeah. D.C. rent terms, a third of a month is a big chunk of money. So he was nice like, enough prorated. to – Yeah, he was nice enough to do that. But catch was I had to pay all up front, which I was happy to do because the University of Wyoming gave me some scholarship money to like help make this happen. And you know, I just had a lot of people supporting me, and I would saved up some money. I was like, you know, I can – I'll just pay up front, and it will be a better deal. I mean, I probably was a little naive. Like, I don't realize people get scammed on Craigslist from this sort of thing every day. But I send him the check. I show, I, you know, buy my plane tickets. I pack two suitcases, you know, for my three months that I'm going to be in D.C. for the summer. And I get on the plane and go. And I don't know a single person really there. I show up at the apartment. Sure enough, the guy is actually a real person. I got real lucky. And he gave me the keys to the apartment. It was nice. It was, it was furnished, and by furnished, I mean it had like a bed and a chair, but that's all the more you could really fit oh, in there. It's, but it's not a bad story. No, it, 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 it actually worked. Like I, I, like I got really lucky because I got this nice, cool apartment. Ty, how dare you lead me? You led that conversation to make. <laughs> to make us think that well like long story short is don't do what i'm doing because it's not like don't don't send money to somebody randomly on craigslist expecting to get an apartment in a place two thousand miles away in three weeks on like the drop of a dime because that's probably a bad that's probably a bad strategy i say send it but it's funny the guy that i rented the apartment from once i got to dc and met him it turns out that he had went to college with one of my professors at wyoming he was actually like a a doctorate of ag of agricultural economics and worked at some you know international trade group in washington dc what yeah okay you didn't meet this guy uh, on craigslist did you you Ab- were set i up absolutely with this did guy. i did but like by divine intervention oh. <laughs> oh really like there's like 500 different like you type into craigslist right now washington dc rentals you'll probably get like 500 different like places for rent and then you narrow it down to like my price range and you're probably going to get like 389 scam apartments in one legitimate apartment. And that's the one I clicked on. Dude, that's awesome. That that worked out so well. And especially the position that he had been in. What a great guy to live with for a while. Oh, it, well, it, I didn't even like live with him. He just, he, he just owned the apartment. And I just, oh, okay. Like, it was, was like, like a studio okay. apartment that he owned. He, he had actually, the reason he had owned it is because he went to like, when he had first moved to DC, he bought it to live in while he was, I don't know if he was in school or working or whatever, but then he had upgraded to a house. So he just kept this as a rental. Interesting. Well, that's a good idea. You should buy it from him. Well, like that place was, I could buy like a whole farm in Wheatland for the amount of <laughs> money that that like place cost. And it was, it was absolutely, I mean, like my kitchen, you couldn't, me and you couldn't stand in there together. <laughs> That's how small it was. Okay. So we keep get going on tangents. Tell me about your experience as an intern in the White House. Well, there's really like, there's really nothing like it. You you walk into the White House complex, you go through the security and the gates. Like every day is just it's special. Like so much history, so much like everything that allows this allows us to live the livelihoods that we have today. All goes back to the history and the decisions and the responsibility of the men that, and maybe someday women, I guess, but that had occupied that building and 
all that that history and just that responsibility and integrity of that place weighs on your shoulders and, and there's no feeling in the world like walking in there even if you're just a, an intern and it, it was truly amazing I mean every day we we work we walked in there and some days I got you know like typical intern type job like where I'd have to do data input or copy or scribble things down. But other days, like I had really important projects and got to meet cool people, meet people, influential people. We did book clubs uh, with, you know, people that were high up in the administration did book clubs and invited the interns to them. We got to do a speaker series every week. We had, you know, um, Kellyanne Conway, or we had, you know, just different people that are high up in the administration, the vice president himself, the president himself, they would come in and give talks to the interns. You know, it, each person was a different person every week, um, all summer. And usually we had two events like that a week. And then the work that I got to do, it, it, even even the most minute things or the most simple things were super interesting. Um, it, it, it was just, it, there's a whole different layer and level and perspective you get from getting to do that. Uh, and it was just a, it was a true blessing that I was able to spend that summer there. Do you think it inspired you more to pursue that, that part of the world, that industry? I think, well, I think that, you know, people in ag need to make sure that they stick up for themselves and, and let people know like the experiences that we have and our concerns and, you know, things that decisions that are made in Washington DC that might affect us like people in ag need to stand up for those because and be a voice I mean when I was in the White House people were stopping by and saying hey you're that farm kid that's here right and like lots of people like from staffers like to hire uh, people in the VP's office were like hey tell me about what it's like what it's really like to live on a farm or to grow up out out in a rural area because you know a lot of these people if they didn't grow up in that lifestyle they don't they don't know about it. They, they just can't fathom it. I mean, if they've lived in a city their whole life, they just don't understand. And even if they are familiar, if they've been in, in that lifestyle of being in politics and, and caught up in all that for many years, they might have forgotten what it was like or, or things might have changed out in rural America while they've been gone, so to speak. But it was, re it was really neat. I mean, I met a lot of neat people. Uh, there's a lot of people in ag out there, more than you'd think. Yeah, you know, I was as an intern. Like I met a guy who was working for um, uh, Brady, Congressman Brady, down in Texas, and he was involved in livestock judging when he was in college. And then all of a sudden, before I knew it, I had lunch lined up with, or meetings lined up with half a dozen different former college livestock judging kids. They were interested to talk to somebody who had been, who's in college livestock judging. No that way. Was, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was it was neat. Like, and people do like, you know, that people are interested in agriculture and and that sort of stuff out there. And they were like, you know, hey, I know this guy. He went to Texas Tech, and then well, pretty soon there's this guy that went to K State, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, it might have spanned of twenty years of different livestock division teams all across the country. Like, I was meeting all these different people that were on staff and different people's offices are involved in some way, shape or form out there. And it, it was neat, like, you know, just to meet these people and know that that network exists. Does it make you want to 
do you, do you ever like think about your internship and want to go back out to DC and, and keep doing that work? Like for sure. Like being involved at the white house was really, it was really cool. Um, being in the city, like I hated being in the city because I like being out where like I can just get away from people and you can't just get away there very easily. I didn't have a car when I was out there. So that was probably kind of like put some negative on like my thoughts about living in Washington DC or my time that I lived there. But like, I like to be able to get away and like go out and get away from people just kind of be out in the middle of nowhere. And that's really just like the part of that that is kind of a turnoff, but for sure there's a lot of cool stuff about it. I mean, you know, I'm lucky enough, like through some of the people that I met and some of the stuff that I did, I've still been able to do I probably won't say too much about it, but I do able to still keep in the loop a little bit, as you probably mentioned at the beginning of the show. And, and, uh, I do a little bit of advanced work. I don't know if you're familiar with what advanced work is. If there's anybody that's an advanced man, I guess, or woman in the audience, they'll, they'll know what I'm talking about, but 99.9% of people won't. <laughs> well, let's, um, I don't know how much you can talk about it, but let's just, let's, I'm going to set you up and you tell us what you, what you can tell us. Um, you work for the vice president you work for the office of the vice president, Mike Pence, uh, and basically you help facilitate and and coordinate his campaign events. Am I correct? Yeah. So advanced people like they like I I as they need extra help getting a, an event set up, they say like they might reach out to. There's people that they know, advanced people that that could do they could get stuff ready, and they'll say, hey, like go put this event together in X, Y, and Z location. And they'll just be like, Hey, next week we need somebody to do this. Can you do it? Like you have free time when you just hop on a plane and go down there. And like, I don't think a lot of people maybe think about this. It's like when the vice president or the president or, you know, when they're going somewhere, there's so much that has to happen for them to go there. I mean, their secret service has to go stake out the place I mean, the advanced people go stake out the place, get a sense of what it looks like. We have to figure out where, what rooms, different events are going to happen in, you know, what locations. I mean, generally, like, it might be like, hey, we know that there's a conference going on for this at this hotel. You know, you get there and you figure out the rest. And it might be like, well, we think that this ballroom is where the speech is going to be. But you might show up and be like, hey, this ballroom sucks. There's no way the VP can give a speech in here and have to work with the people putting on the conference and whatever, or the secret service might be like, eh, no, this can't be set up like this. Cause we cannot keep him safe in this configuration. Like we need you to change this. You need to move the stage here whatever. Like there's a lot of decisions that need to go into it. So they, so they send out people to help set up and facilitate all of that and make sure that all these trips that you see going on, like go off without a hitch because really at the end of the day, like, the vice president, the president, these people don't, they don't have like everything that they do has to be thoroughly planned out because they have so many things that they're doing in a day. Like if you looked at their schedule, it just astounds you the amount of different people they have to talk to and events they have to attend and things that are on their, their mind. Like they can't really think about the way the stage is set up for them. If they're going somewhere, like it just needs to be right when they get there. 
and it needs to be right for the country. Like you, if you're putting your leader of your country up somewhere, like everything needs to be look right. Cause that reflects like not only on the administration, but you know, on the whole country itself, like you want the U S to come across as competent and the best. Cause we're, we are the best. Yeah. And I, I mean, it makes e- like each event in each city, uh, kind of show off their, their best yeah. aspects too. Yeah. And so, and like some of these things are, are political and they're, they're, you know, campaign events where you go and you maybe have a rally or whatever. And then some of these things are official and it's like, you got to put your politics in your back pocket and, and not worry about, you know, I mean, I think everybody that has a political viewpoint, you know, it's hard to just put that away for good, but you know, if, if they're, if you're there doing something that represents something for the United States government, you need to make sure that it is, you know, official like U S you know, that as a country, their rep, the vice president, when he gets up on that stage to give his speech looks good, the cameras can get a good view of him. You know, the people can hear what he's saying, you know, it's important no matter what, if it's political or official. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's important to keep him safe and, and keep the atmosphere uh, yeah. just right, for sure. And there's a ton of law enforcement folks that have to get called in to help with all these different trips to these different places that these politicians make and, you know, Secret Service along with law enforcement. And they do a tremendous job of of trying to make sure that everything goes off without a hitch and, you know, those guys have the toughest job by far. There's a, there's a lot of respect for those guys that, you know, plan out that side of the event because that's that stuff's way over my head. Well, gosh, I mean, it's just incredible that you have that opportunity. And I, I wanted to ask you, how long before an event do you get a call uh, saying like, hey, would you like to help with this event? Like how, how long till the event is actually going to occur? Oh, well, like usually before, like I know, like if I'm going to have to leave, it might be like as little as a day or as much as like a week or two. I don't know. Sometimes they're like better planned out. But if you, if they, if something gets planned out too far ahead, then like you can't really plan, like plan on it actually happening like that because like the news changes, circumstances changes, everything changes. And like, if they were wanting to go there some like on a certain day, maybe something ha- happened in the world that's more important that's taking their attention and boom, it, it gets moved or canceled or whatever. So not that much in advance do you get like a heads up, but you know, any, a couple of days usually, sometimes just like the day uh, that you're supposed to go. And then like when you're supposed to go, you normally have like a week if it's like a small, if it's like in campaign season and more stuff's like just go, 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 go. Like it might be less time than that, but usually there's like a week. I love it that you just get like a, a, a call from an unknown number and it's like, can you come? Like you're like a spy. Ty. <laughs> it's like, I used to like not want to answer when I got unknown calls, but now it's like, Oh shoot, I better answer that. They're just like, go to, go to the airport at 2 PM. You'll find a ticket there with a ribbon on it. Yeah. Only pack go two to bags. The ter- go to like in through terminal door number three 
find a third trash can, yes. take out the bag and look under the bottom of the trash can. Yes. There will be your package. Yes, it's a pair of dentures. Put them in your mouth. This will get you through security without your... Uh, I don't know. I can't take the bit any longer. I'm sorry. Yeah. No. Oh, my gosh. We no, get, I, we, I actually, think... we don't get to go through security. Okay. What? So, like, you think, like, we get, like, some... Like, you can't... Like, I have to be, like... Like, I have to pretend like I'm... We usually don't want people to know, like, ahead of time because that makes things worse. Like, people are know that somebody's coming to a certain area. People will get excited. People will act weird. Like, security will be worse. So we got to, like, pretend like we're there for some other reason. And we... Like, if we get special treatment because of what we're doing, like, that's a bad... Like, that means I'm doing bad at my job and they probably won't want me to come back because I'm, like, abusing my privilege. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense, though. You should be nor you should be as uh, as normal as anybody else going through security. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm completely normal. E- even le- I'm less than normal. I'm like plain Jane. Plain Jane. Yeah. Now, you've been doing this for like a year now, for uh, the I, vice president. I, so I've been doing it on and off. Like I might do it a, a couple of trips, like a bunch in a row, and then not do any for a while, just because either they're like not traveling as much or they don't need as much help or I am like too busy to be able to commit a full week of my time to go to some random location and do something. So I can't like just drop what I'm doing and say, yeah, I'll go. But you know, I, so I've been going on and off, but I've been doing it. Like they asked me if I'd like to go on and off when I was an intern doing this. And so basically since 2017, I've, you know, like I've gone months where I haven't done it. And then I've gone months where I've done several in a row so okay so it's off and on yeah um now this is this is a question submitted by um joshua barry i I sent him a text josh is just trying to pray out all my secrets no i sent him a text um before the interview and i said hey what do you think would be some good topics to talk about ty or to talk with uh ty about and his question was are you going to run for the president of the United States? Well, look, look, you just rewind this about 25 minutes, maybe more. I don't know. Cause I've probably been rambling on a tangent, but there's like this conversation we had about if there's a reason and like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. That's how I would decide if I was going to run for anything is if there was a reason for me and an issue or, Something where I could make a difference, then that would be the the reason why I'd run for anything. I don't so want we'll to hear that answer. That. I don't want to hear that answer. I want a yes or a no, and we need to start your campaign now. Oh, boy. It'll be but, the earliest you know, you campaign. Thir- you have to be 35, so that'd be like 10 straight years of campaigning. And, you yeah. Know, 10 years from now, it's in an election. 10 years from now, it's not even an election year. So now, so we got to wait 12, you know, who knows what what will happen the coronavirus will wipe out the u.s and there'll be like you know a whole new society by 12 years from now at the rate that the my stocks are going down (laughs) it's all about the grind dude (laughs) gosh dang are your stocks really doing pretty bad well have you ever heard of space space stock virgin galactic sp spce just a shout out if you guys want to all just take out um I will recommend you to Robinhood, even though I don't think it's a good platform, just so I can get some free stocks. 
And uh, if oh, you, you your plug, listeners you're gonna want plug to buy your, you're gonna plug your Robin Hood. and just, well, maybe, yeah. So I get free stocks because it's all about capitalism, making an extra buck when you can. Of course. But uh, also buy space, even though I don't believe in the company, literally don't. Like they have like a plan to fly people to space, which sounds cool, but the ability for them to generate revenue or whatever is seems really far off, but a lot of no, people are dude, into it. It's... You guys just log on, buy it. So the stock goes up because that's what people have been doing. They've just okay. been buying it. No matter don't what. use, don't use my platform to pump a stock up. Okay. You're going <laughs> to lose money on it, but listen, well, to, listen to me. I need it to go up because you know, I was doing pretty good and uh, just cause it's been tr- swinging like crazy. But it's been swinging down a little too much this week. I kick myself for not getting in Tesla like three months ago and it was at $200 a share. Oh. Well, young man, you're lucky because this is the next Tesla. Young man. Okay, so, dude, have you heard about uh, like – so Virgin Air has theirs. Uh, Tesla has SpaceX or Elon has SpaceX and then Boeing has one too. And like, they're all three going to launch some – like they're all three launching in 2020 to – Apparently Boeing owns – like invested in, in Virgin Galactic. They might have bought it out actually. So it's Virgin Galactic. It's, oh, and then Jeff Bezos has one too. Yeah, Jeff Bezos. It, but I mean he has – he buys whatever he wants. But dude, they're, they're all three sending people to the shuttle – or the International Space Station well, I hope in Boeing 2020. Tests there's a little bit better. They can't even make an airplane that flies nowadays. Boeing? Is yeah, that what you're talking about? They, Boeing? They've had some troubles, yes. Yeah. Yeah, they have had some troubles. RIP. But, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for what they're going to do. As soon as they, I, I guess as soon as they get somebody to the space station, then they kind then nasa's just like okay you can do it commercially or something i don't know i'm just all about when they can take us to the moon i don't know because the views are pretty pretty good up there i hear i dude i really want to go to space i mean one of those intergalactic trip like just one of those space trips where i can just look down on earth oh yeah i'm in yeah when i was an intern at the white house we uh we had this big Fourth of July like space themed like thing that the VP was doing, and uh, we went to the U.S. Capitol to watch the fireworks. You know, like my job that night was like to check in. Like there was several people invited from NASA, and like all these super smart NASA scientists got to like come watch the fireworks from the Capitol. It was very. Uh, those guys are very interesting. They got a tough job though. Did you ask them if we actually went to the moon or not? Oh, or, or if the we Earth is flat. The... Have you heard we this, Ty? The, the Earth is flat. Well, you know what? I've and then we didn't seen... go to the moon. So I heard that the guy that uh, that uh, thought the Earth was flat and he built a rocket to fly up to prove it was um, tragically like killed in his homemade rocket this week. So Was he know. really? That'll probably feed more conspiracy theories. Oh, no. He, I, he, I... he was working on getting up there to test his theory, and uh, just nobody will, nobody knows. I recommend anybody into the flat earth deal watch on Netflix. It's called behind the curve. It is like one of the funniest documentaries you'll ever see. And it's only surrounding flat earth and the people that support it. It's, it's just hilarious. I recommend it. Ty, you should watch it. It's very funny. I'll, I'll give it a look. All right, Ty. Well, um, that's kind of, that's all I had for you. 
Um, I want to, I tell, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but at the end of these deals, I like to just have my guest give a little inspirational quote or whatever you think would be necessary to hear to be uh, motivated and be a good human being in today's society. Well, I guess, I, I don't know. Like something that I've learned is like, you got to have a good balance of wisdom in, but still you got to be kind of naive. You got to balance those things. Cause if you're too wise, you'll think, ah, that hasn't worked before. Like that can't work or that can't happen. But you know, that's why you got to be somewhat naive so that you still have that belief that you can make things happen or you can do things that haven't been done or you can take on challenges that don't seem likely, but at the same time, you got to have just enough wisdom that you know how to go about getting it done. And that's really what I think it boils down to. No matter if you're getting showing livestock or livestock judging, or heck you're trying to apply to be an intern at the white house, you know, whatever it is that you're going to do, you, uh, you know, make sure you're educated but not to the point where you discourage yourself. You had that plan, didn't you? Actually, I did not. But That's... I've been thinking about things that are important, and I thought I thought of that because I've, you know, just been working on. It's something I struggle with, and I'm trying to. I'm working on starting a new business right now, and it's like there's days where I think I cannot do this because, like, there's too many obstacles. I don't like. I don't know enough about these things people don't do it like if this was a good idea why would somebody have already done it and then there's other times where it's like you know what i just need to forget about all those obstacles and like know that i have the knowledge to try and tackle this thing and make it happen do we do you want to mention your new business that you're starting or is it still well, under wraps i mean it's still under wraps but you guys have heard of digital advertising, targeted, like highly targeted advertising. Like I think that there's more applications than what people are, you know, how it's being used now, or maybe it's being used in limited ways, but I think you know, there's many more applications for it as far as, you know, if you're a livestock producer, making sure that people know about you, what you're producing, or if you're producing some, you know, specialized show stock, like, hitting the exact kind of target market of the people that are interested in that, making sure that they know about your stuff. I, I think there's a lot of potential in that, but you know, that's probably a whole nother topic that we'll have to chat about some well, other day. Once you, once you, yeah, once you get some more stuff locked down, we'll just have a, a full episode pertaining to that idea. Cause I think we can talk for, I know we See, can talk I, for a while on it. If I can stay on topic for, more than like 10 minutes no i like it when you go on tangents ty it makes it fun i mean you, you have a this is like an ag podcast right like yeah i listen to most of them and well I'll, to be honest my new year's resolution i got i fell behind um after the new year so i've got a couple of to catch up on but but uh you know tangents um, tangents i don't know how much i talked about agriculture or showing or whatever in this but there's something in there there's a lot in here, Ty, and I think a lot of people are going to appreciate it. And I know, I mean, I think you had a lot to say, and I think you spoke well. I think I think you have a unique story, and I appreciate you. Well, it's uh, definitely been a pleasure. Uh, hopefully, 
you find this interesting if anybody's made it to this point in the conversation thanks let's, for uh, sticking along let's plug your your social medias oh yeah so just i've in got case anybody uh, wants to follow you i've got facebook if you kids are still on that i don't know it's kind of an older person <laughs> thing now so uh yeah you can look me up on there my uh i just go by ty shockley nothing fancy I uh, probably won't get the notification that you've friended me for three weeks. So if it takes a while before I respond, just know that it's because I don't know who you are. Bingo. Really what it is is I just don't check it. I've got Snapchat. Don't know my username, but if you're friends with Josh Berry, ask him. He'll he'll, he'll hit you up with (laughs) any of my personal information. I might plug, I might put your Snapchat on like my social medias under the episode. How about that? I guess, yeah. And I've I even got back onto the Bluebird. Oh, Twitter. Twitter. But I don't post anything. It's strictly for following other people, so I know what's going on. So that wouldn't be that interesting. Listen here, Twitter's hilarious. Okay. Yeah, it is. I'm on Reddit. You guys do Reddit? I like Reddit sometimes. Hit me up on Reddit. I have very low points, I don't but even my know username is yo ming yo ming one two three. Okay, we need to end this. All right. So, <laughs> all right. Ty. Seriously, if you need to get a hold of me, you guys, Josh probably plugged his stuff on here when he was on here, and Josh knows all my stuff. I know his, and when we were in college, I memorized his social security number, his address, his date of birth, all that stuff, so I could go by him if I ever got in trouble. Yeah. Here's the deal: if you want to know more about Ty, connect with me, and I'll get him in touch with you anybody yeah or a follow or a that's a, on that's facebook a, that's a good plan yeah all right ty uh thanks again for taking time out of your night i know you just had work so um i appreciate you sitting down and talking with me dude i had a lot of i had i really had a lot of fun with this interview dude yeah well so did i all right ty well um yeah i'll talk to you later dude all right thanks i miss you life. dude let's let's see each other soon okay okay Hey, Tyler's Only, wedding? So, well, okay, let's try before and do something that. a little sooner than yeah, that. Yeah, before that. Like, maybe this spring when it gets warm enough to be outside in Arizona, like in swimming pools that aren't heated, but not yeah. before it gets too hot. No, come in like uh, late April. Okay, late April. I'm going to look it up because flights are really cheap. Yeah, look, uh, go through... Um... I told you this last time and then I couldn't, and then I fell through, so, you know, I suck, but... Well, well yeah, up. you were supposed to come down for Arizona Nationals, and you didn't. You decided not to. I'm a, I'm a loser. Well, I would have liked to, but I had to work. I got a stupid work thing that blah, I had blah, to do. Blah, blah. I actually hung out with Josh on New Year's Eve. Rude. All so right. We had uh, a good time. <laughs> we'll talk soon, Ty. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Time's limited, so you must listen carefully. Isn't Ty just the greatest person you guys have ever heard? He's... He is, he's got an, an incredible accomplishment uh, list. That was the wrong thing to say. He's got a great resume, if you will, okay? I know I kind of fumbled that up a little bit before, but he's got a great resume. And what a great guy. The fact that he ran for uh, public office? I mean, he was like 25, 24, 25. Are you kidding me? What a guy. All right, I hope you guys like that one. Uh, Like I said, follow me on all my stuff, all my social medias. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your grandma. And uh, I'll talk to you guys next week.
I love you. Bye.